Let's uh, pray over the word. So, Father, thank you for allowing us to open up your word. Thank you for giving this, us this uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. Uh, thank you, Lord, for um, developing an interest uh, in us. We pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears, Lord, to uh, understand more of what you would have us to um, absorb and that we would get closer to you in this time together. Pray, Lord, for anybody also listening online or watching online, Lord, um, that uh, your spirit would move uh, in their homes. We pray, Lord, for your spirit to move here, Lord, and um, show us your glory and your power, Lord. Um, help us not to be ashamed, Lord, to ask to see more of you and to know more of you. And um, Again, we just thank you, Lord, for this time, and we look forward to what you have to say to us, Lord, tonight. In your name, Jesus, amen. Uh, so we're in Genesis 11. Last time I was up, uh, we were in Genesis 10. And I'm trying something new tonight, I'm trying to uh, use my little gizmo called a cell phone <laughs> to uh, check my notes. So we'll see how this goes, too. Uh, rather than writing them out this time, I basically put them all here electronically. So um, before we get into the word, um, let's review a little bit, or before we get into chapter 11, let's review 10. Um, it talked about nations and borders and uh, the generations of, um, uh, of the people. And it is obviously important. It's written, um, so it's important for us to glean what God is trying to tell us here. So genealogy is important. Nations, borders are important. Um, the things that he gives us are important. And in chapter 10, and as we see in 11, he gave lands to the people uh, to sustain them and, and to um, provide for them. And here in 11, there is, as Pastor Rob noted, um, kind of a change in direction. It seems as though the people have gotten distant from the Lord. It seems like they're not paying attention to him. They're not fellowshipping with him. They're paying more attention to themselves and what they can do uh, together rather than sitting and waiting patiently and allowing the Lord to work in their lives. And so we'll see a little bit of that as we get into chapter 11. Uh, I wanted to share um, a couple of theme words. Let me see if I can pull up the definitions here uh, tonight. So what we'll see as a theme tonight uh, one of the words would be faith. So the definition of faith, at least according to the dictionary, is belief in God, revelation, or the like, as soundness of faith. In a practical religious sense, it's trust in God. Also, it is fidelity to one's promises, or allegiance to duty or to a person, also known as loyalty, or that which is believed, especially a system of religious beliefs, or complete confidence, especially in someone or something open to question or suspicion. And then it says also see belief. So to me, our calling is to believe in God and believe in all his promises and believe that he sent Jesus to pay for our sins. And Jesus is the propitiation, the full um, complement of covering for every single sin we committed past that we are committing now and that we will commit in the future. And that's where our faith lies. If, uh, okay, and then following to that, um, there's also hope, and we can 
define that as desire with expectation of obtaining what is desired or belief that it is obtainable or trust or reliance or also it is ground or source of happy expectation hence good promise as a land of hope or that which is hoped for also an object of hope and to trust and to cherish and then another word we could um, discuss tonight is patience and patience is a state a quality a power or fact of being patient or forbearance also it's suffering sufferance and it's interesting the word right below patience is patient and so being patient is bearing or enduring pains trials or the like without complaint or without equanimity exercising forbearance under provocation or long-suffering being patient is also expectant with calmness or without discontent also undisturbed by obstacles delays failures etc which is also synonymous with persevering and hopefully you're if you've read the word at all you're seeing some of these words perseverance long suffering i was really encouraged to see these in the dictionary albeit it's an older version of um, webster's dictionary that i use but it was really comforting to see words that we actually read in the bible actually being defined um, here in in the dictionary and the maybe perhaps one of the more key words tonight will be pride and that's essentially the impetus behind the building of the tower of babel was the pride of the people so the definition of pride is a quality or state of being proud specifically inordinate self-esteem or conceit and then it's interesting this version of the dictionary said see deadly sins I'll, I'll get there in a minute. Um, it also can mean lofty self-respect, a reasonable delight in one's position, achievements, or possessions, or proud behavior, treatment, insolence, arrogance, or disdain, or showing ostentation. Let's see. Also, to indulge in pride means to rate highly or as to have pride in oneself upon one's skill. And that's what we'll see here um, in chapter 11. So I flipped over and I looked for the deadly sins. And I believe in Roman Catholicism, they put emphasis on these, but it's biblical. We do, you will hear words um, in this definition that regardless of who you are, if you're a Christian, you'll know these. So pride, covetousness, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth considered as fatal to spiritual progress. And it's true. If we're lazy and if we don't um, take time to spend with God and develop our own individual relationship with him, uh, then we don't receive all the benefits that he wants to give us. Then it also says at the end, compared to the cardinal virtues. So I flipped over in the dictionary to cardinal virtues. And these are also words that we know from the Bible. It stands, or it's defined as prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude. Those are the four chief natural virtues. And apparently some modern writers add three theological virtues to those four which are faith hope and charity and i'm like i couldn't understand it said why would it say some modern writers because faith hope and charity also known as love is right here in the bible and as pastor said the author and the finisher of our faith is jesus and he is the embodiment of faith hope and love altogether. um so 
then I looked up to see if Babel was in there, and it was. So Babel, or Babel, uh, it shows as a pronunciation, is a city and tower in the land of Shinar, which today is estimated to be around the land of Iraq. It is the scene of the confusion of languages. Also a structure impossibly lofty or a visionary scheme, which I loved because that's exactly how chapter 11 starts. It's like the people have a visionary scheme and they're, they're going to plan to get high and lift it up without God. And so I, I got a lot, or I got a chuckle out of that too. And Babel is actually a root and can also um, be uh, synonymous with Babylon, which uh, the definition here was an ancient Semitic city in the Euphrates Valley, which in about 2225 BC, so that's 2000 some odd years before Christ, was the richest and most magnificent, magnificent of cities also known as any center of luxury and wickedness, a place of captivity or exile in allusion to the 50-year captivity of the Jews in, around 1597 by Nebuchadnezzar. So I'm encouraged again. I, I was surprised to see this much in that dictionary. Um, so why don't we go to chapter 11. We'll start um, in there, and we'll start with verse 1. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. So it seems like there's been a period of time um, that's expended between the end of chapter 10 and the, and, and the end of chapter, or the beginning of chapter 11 here. Because I'll just go back for, um, for clarity here. So in chapter 10, verse 31, these were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. And verse 32 of chapter 10 says, these were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So here it shows that they have their own languages, their own generations, their own nations, and they were deliberately divided on the earth after the flood. So that was God's plan at that time, to have them divided, to have them have their own individual languages. And we can kind of say the same thing, right? We have 50 states in America, and we also have territories such as Puerto Rico, and we have different languages among people, even like dialects. Like if you go to New York City, there might be some slang words and other words that people on the West Coast wouldn't know or use, and vice versa. So even though we're together and united as one nation um, under God, I believe that, even though we're rebellious at times, um, we, we still have individuality among the nations or among the states and there are still borders such as what was here and that's what I meant the nations had their borders their peoples had kind of like their territories so essentially the United States has a similar layout let's say so in verse 1 it says now the whole earth had one language and one speech so apparently people were starting to understand um, words and were putting together uh, a language that was common to everyone. And so verse 2, it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And here, if you can see the repetition, they said, they said, they said. This is humanism at its finest. This is focusing just on their own power, their own might, their own will. They haven't even asked here for God's guidance or direction. So verse 4, they said, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. 
Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, they were already kind of scattered. It tells us here in chapter 10, verse 32, that from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. It was a deliberate division that God laid out. And the people here uh, were deliberately wanting to unify. So these, um, this situation should kind of sound familiar because today, uh, don't we have organizations like the World Health Organization, the United Nations. We have G6, G8, uh, maybe there's gonna be a G10, I, I don't know. But um, it seems like this is a theme uh, throughout the ages that people want to try to unify and um, try to use their own will and means to develop systems um, that even though they may think they're going to benefit many people, um, as we know, people are uh, motivated by different things. And the word says our hearts are wicked, right? And it's very challenging to, to, to be a human being and to be totally, um, what do I wanna say, non-biased, right, to, to things. I could see something as being very good, but perhaps a friend, a brother, or sister might have a different opinion of something than I do. So it's very important to be aware of, let's say, a herd mentality, and that's kind of what is happening here. It's almost as if they have this herd mentality, we're going to just do this, um, regardless of what God has um, given us in, previous, uh, in the previous years. Um, as if they want more, and don't we want more? Our society is just bombarding us every day with so many options and alternatives to things, food, cars, computers, phones. Um, mine is so old, I'm actually surprised it's actually staying on. This is like an S5, so, uh, but we, we're given so many opportunities to continue to upgrade things when the reality of it is under God, all he wants us to do is to develop our individual relationship with him and to strengthen that every day and to be in communion with him and to minimize distractions um, that take us away from him. And speaking of those organizations, are we actually giving away our freedoms? to let those organizations make decisions for us, for us without really any, having any input. Um, you know, we elect our leaders, our local leaders, our state leaders, national leaders, and when we do that, we entrust them to act in good character, right, to act on our behalf. But as we've seen through the ages, our hearts are wicked and people often don't act in the best interest of all their constituents. Um, it's interesting that uh, we'll see here that disobedience actually brings separation from God. There's an example here right in chapter 11. And I think we're seeing that now in our nation where we continue to push God out of all of our affairs and it just seems like there's more upset, unrest, mistrust, violence in our society. And that's not what God wants. God wants to um, have us rely on him to develop that loving relationship with him and to remain in that um, stance of uh, love and, and confidence about what we're doing here now and where, we, where we're going in the future. And the Bible is the basic instructions before leaving earth. It's simple instructions. And he gives so many examples in here of how people just go their own ways. They trip up, mess up, get into trouble. But he gave us Jesus to take care of all those mess ups. He gives us numerous times to repent. Millions we can repent every day, every hour, every minute, every second. And if we 
are faithful and are we're actually giving heartfelt repentance to him he is faithful to forgive that and he counts it from the east to the west it's gone so one of the verses that um, came to mind when I was reading this is like how do we prevent ourselves from getting all off track and second chronicles 714 you've heard it a lot from this pulpit um, our church really um, appreciates this verse it's if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin and heal their land and God's already came through with that promise he gave Jesus to pay for our sins and it's interesting in our present culture doesn't it seem like many times the loudest voices are the ones that get the most attention even if it's a small group of people that doesn't really have like a common interest it, it, it's known as a special interest group and special interest groups seem to get more attention more and more in in the public eye in the media in the government when laws are being proposed and made and it's just to me that's that's a an example of how if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit if we're not praying if we're not continually asking the Lord for guidance and direction then we have all these outside things that come in and start to influence us and our families and our friends and you know it's to me it seems like it's a juggernaut and it's just not going to end I do have faith it's going to end when Jesus calls us home believers will go and then there will be a huge change but um, the challenge right now is to persevere and to keep shining the light that he's given us and to keep telling people of the hope that we have which is him and not to be discouraged that people won't maybe make an immediate change or listen because God shows us in his word that there are many people that their hearts will be hard and they will refuse to hear about the good news but that doesn't mean we should be lazy about it and that doesn't mean we shouldn't at least try to share our, our faith in the appropriate time and that's why being in a constant mode of prayer and asking the Lord to show us the opportunities is best um, there's also the question about motivating up you know what motivates our hearts and why are we why are we driven by certain things um, there are just so many examples in the word of how people were motivated to do things and it, it seems like when people get themselves into trouble they neglected to pray and they neglected to sit still and to just meditate on things first before taking action and I think right here is one of those examples it doesn't say now maybe there were a few people who were God-fearing people that tried to tell their friends no we shouldn't make bricks we shouldn't build this but again the herd mentality and perhaps the lack of understanding that you know my relationship with the Lord might be put in jeopardy if I do this um, they just went ahead and did it anyway so I guess my question to us and even me is are we willing to continue to exercise our faith even when things are tough when maybe we lose a job or we lose a loved one are we more apt to blame God or are we more apt to ask him okay God what are you asking me to learn or to understand from this experience and how can I get through it can can I ask you you know and yeah we can we can ask him for support and help every day every moment um, and I I'm convinced that that's what he wants he wants us to come to him as little children like the word says and to bring everything and lay it at his feet not to lay it at a tower of Babel or an idol they they don't help us the Lord helps us so let's get back um, into this 
So uh, I'll, repeat, I'll repeat verse four. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But, I, I love that, but <laughs> the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them which doesn't mean God doesn't have any control over it. He does, but what he sees here is, is that they have become very resourceful on their own, and they're actually separating themselves from him. And then in verse 7, this is great because it's a clear reference to the Trinity. It says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So he's intervening on their behalf. They're not willing to intervene by themselves, by their own means. Um, and actually, well, what I'm trying to say is they're not willing to intervene and pray and seek his face as they should on their own. Instead, they banded together, and for their own good, the Lord wants to split them up. So... Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And again, that was a deliberate act for God, from God by him, by the Trinity, which means Father, Son, and Spirit, um, for their own good. So, even so, the, even though they were scattered, they still had not lost the ability to connect with God. God hadn't gone anywhere. He was there. It says he was looking at them. He looked down, and then he came down. So, again, this shows that God is faithful to his people. He's faithful to us. He continues to look after us. Um, so now in verse 10, this is kind of repetition from chapter 10. Shem's descendants. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphasad two years after the flood. After he begot Arphasad, and some translations say Arpaxad, it's a little different spelling, but it's the same name. Shem. Okay, after he begot Arphasad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Verse 12, Arphasad lived 35 years and begot Salah. After he begot Salah, Arphasad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begot Sirug. After he begot Sirug, Ru lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Sirug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Sirug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. There's a, if you notice, I'll stop here for just a minute, there's a slight age decline. It's like a slow decline in years. So even now, there's kind of like a picture that uh, the, the human frame and the body and perhaps even the land is in declination, even though it's slow. So this is after the flood, it's after Adam and Eve. Um, th this is still under sin. Um, it's not like perfect with um, all perfect air, water, vegetables, everything. Uh, and verse 25, after he, Naor, begot, or I'm sorry, yeah, Oh, verse 25, after he begot Terah, Naor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, 
Nahor, and Haran. And this is a significant piece. This is um, the, again, Abram is the father of uh, Israel, and um, this is why the Lord lays out the whole genealogy. He just wants us to see that there's a meaning and a purpose to having the people um, named out here and listed in genealogy. And I think I mentioned the time I was up here before that I wish I could trace my roots right back to Jesus. I mean, I can, I know, because I'm a Christian, I'm created, but uh, it would be nice to actually connect all those dots and go on Ancestry.com and just make it so that Jesus is over everything. Um, so, now verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans, also known as Ur of the Chaldees. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And that's chapter 11. So we're setting the stage here for um, further descendants and for the people of Israel as well as um, the Messiah to come forth. And that's important. Um, there's, there are other uh, genealogies here and in the book, in the Word, and it's good to kind of know that the Lord wants us to know that he's a good father and he means for us to have a connection with family and not just our biological families, but with, his, with him and, and be a part of his family. So, so the, the Lord came down and scattered um, these people after they built the tower and they were not able to... Um, complete the city. So that struck me as a picture of us and even myself trying to work on things that might not be God's best for me. And sometimes it's hard for me to recognize that maybe I'm putting my effort and my attention into things that really aren't important to God and they really won't benefit me. But I know His Word. It encourages us, um, and he gives us warnings about uh, building on the foundation. In his own words, in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, yet it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And that is kind of like a word picture here. I found that there's a similarity here. The whole tower just fell. The people dispersed and they couldn't even finish their city. That's pretty impressive. Um, that's like an immediate just halt to everything. And I think we can find in our own lives, sometimes God gives us physical barriers, emotional barriers, even has other people, not always necessarily Christians, give us wise advice like that makes us take pause and step back before we go in or enter into an agreement with people, a contract, might be a marriage, might be buying a house or a car. Uh, it's important for us to be in tune with the Spirit's still small voice. 
let's, um, there's a quote by someone named Walter Elliott. I don't know who he is, but I saw this recently um, in print, and it's interesting to me. He, Mr. Elliott says, perseverance is not one long race. It is a series of many short races, one after the other. And I know the word tells us that we should persevere and we need to run the race to uh, gain the prize at the end. And it is a long race, but I'm still seeing it as God helping us step by step. So there are little things that happen to us day by day, month by month, year by year that, um, you know, he's trying to teach us more about him. And every step of the way, every, whether it's a victory or we consider it a loss, it's still a good for us when we stay within, uh, within our lane with, with the Lord, when you know, we're asking him to support us, he's still going to show us how he loves us and he's never gonna let us go. So I talked about herd mentality and again, it's very curious. It just seems like in the herd mentality, um, the louder voices get heard, H-E-A-R-D, and um, sometimes the direction might not benefit everybody. And here, for instance, in this tower uh, chapter, you know, before the people, even though they were living in their own um, their own part of the land that God had given them, and they may have had different dialects and a slightly different language, uh, it seems like they were all still getting along. There were benefits. Now, it seems like the consequences of this are they're totally scattered. Um, they may still have the opportunity to um, connect with the Lord, but it doesn't really tell us if they're, they're far away from each other and if they're separated by long distances from their families. But that, the thing I took away from this was there are always consequences to our actions. And without God, we can't expect or blame him. Um, we can't expect good things to happen all the time without God, and we can't blame him uh, when bad things happen. It just, you know, again, sometimes tough things come to build our character. Uh, and my own personal experience is um, parents were diagnosed with cancer very close to one another. And uh, although one lasted longer than the other, that was a tough period of time. That was like a wake-up call to me to show me that, gosh, we're not all invincible and we don't have forever to live. And I thank God and praise him that I had been saved just shortly before they both got their diagnoses. Without being saved, I don't know how I would have been able to handle that. And I think it gave me a different perspective to actually have some care and compassion in a different manner for my parents than what I would have if I hadn't been saved. So regardless of the circumstances, we can trust God's in everything. And he does want to adorn us as his children with blessings. So there's a couple follow-up verses and um, passages I wanted to look at. If we could go to sorry, Psalm 33. We'll look at a psalm and a couple proverbs. So, Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Hallelujah for our God, right? <laughs> For praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. 
He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. That's what I thought paralleled here to the Tower of Babel. He can rise up, he can take down, and it can be immediate. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people has chosen as his own in oh wait a minute, the, I'm sorry, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. I hope you're seeing the parallel here. This is like verses that parallel what we just read in Genesis 11. So verse 15, he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. So that's encouraging me, no matter what, just keep hoping. And even if I'm going along on my own way, he's going to give me, I believe, a check by his spirit to help me understand, you know, something is going to happen to help me understand that I need to sit, maybe uh, meditate at his feet and get into the word some more, get into praying and ask him to speak to me somehow or to show me a sign. And we should do that a lot. <laughs> so let's turn over to Proverbs 3. Again, one of my other favorite uh, chapters. So Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. And again, this is the thing. The people didn't lose connection with God because of God when they were starting to build the Tower of Babel. They lost connection with God because of their own devices, really. They decided to go their own way instead of turning to God. So verse 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So this is what I don't, really understand about what they were doing. They had been given so much, the people, before they built the Tower of Babel, and it, the word doesn't speak about whether they were honoring the Lord with any of their possessions. It is written in such a way to make me believe that they were not, and they were just going to use the materials for their own desire, let's say, to satisfy their own desire to see something that they had made with their own hands instead of letting God cultivate them and, and build them up in, in a spiritual way. Let's skip down to, skip down to 19. Chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. 
Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. And to me, again, it's kind of like I'm questioning. Why didn't some of the group question what the group's motivation was? We don't know. It's not written here. But this is telling us don't fear if we follow the Lord and we are convinced that it, his way is the right way, then we don't need to fear anything. He's going to take care of things for us. Uh, let's skip to Proverbs 14. So Proverbs 14, verse 1, parallel to Proverbs 31. So 14, verse 1, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Verse 9, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. Verse 11, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that, again, to me, kind of parallels what happened here with the Tower of Babel. And then if we skip over to Proverbs 16... Speaking of the heart and the tongue, Pastor Rob talked about the tongue this morning and how out of the heart the mouth speaks. Chapter 16, verse 1, The preparations of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked, for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. To me, that's another parallel to the Tower of Babel. Verse 6, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man, man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. And here is the key, a key verse, verse 9, Proverbs 16. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's where we should be. We, we should, like um, Checker mentioned this morning, we can have plans and have desires but let's check in with the lord first right and keep praying and asking him to please either confirm it or to show us how to wait and be patient because who knows we might have um, an inkling of what we should be doing but our way might not actually be as good as the lord's way and if we jump right into something The blessing may still be there, but maybe it wasn't as abundant as what the Lord wanted in the first place. Uh, Let's go to Jeremiah 17. Talks about sin and punishment, but it also talks about uh, our heart and kind of talks about the Lord being our refreshment. So in verse 1, chapter 17 of Jeremiah, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the point of a diamond it is engraved. 
So like another passage of the word says, our sin will find us out and our hearts are wicked. And that's what the word says. So the Lord already knows what the designs of our heart are and what we're planning to do. And, you know, a wise person, as we just read, is going to turn to the Lord and ask him to change us. So with the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of your altars. While their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills. And that kind of speaks to the, the children being sacrificed uh, as uh, um, while they were being sacrificed to the idols that the parents had. And to me, it also shows that, you know, even from my own experience, don't we copy what our parents do? And some of the things that maybe our parents idolize, we might also idolize. And sometimes I don't know if parents even know that they're kind of directing their kids uh, in, in, towards something that might not be for their benefit later on. So verse 3, Jeremiah 17, Oh, my mountain in the field, I will give as plunder your wealth, all your treasures and your high places of sin within all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage which I gave you, and I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn to forever. And this just speaks the Lord, his vengeance, vengeance is his, and he will take care of those who forsake him and um, exercise wicked ways. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. And that speaks to me of the herd mentality. I have been given, and we all have been given, opportunity, tools, resources to think for ourselves, to compare what's going on in the world to the word, to, you know, check in with the Lord, to ask him, you know, what am I supposed to do in this situation? and to wait on him and to be patient. He gives us the tools to be patient. I think I myself, I don't want to wait. I've been trained because of all the inputs of our world and our society to just want things instantly, to have an answer, to have a meal, to have, a, a, have money even, you know, a credit card. I can buy something very easily with a credit card and yet it's not beneficial to me because now I have a debt to pay. So verse 6, for, oh, I'm sorry, let's go over verse 5 again. Cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But then it changes the tone and it gives us encouragement here in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when he comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. And then he's totally honest with us and opens up like the observation of us and who we really are in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Let's see if... Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings, as a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he is on the high throne. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. 
So that's where we get our nourishment. We get our nourishment and our refreshment and our sustenance from the Lord. If we try to do things like the people here um, in chapter 11 did with the Tower of Babel, they didn't really get anything out of it, did they? They were scattered. Um, what they made was destroyed, and it really didn't, in the end, really didn't serve a purpose. Uh, two more, let's see, yep, two more places to go, and then we'll finish up. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Another favorite. So, Hebrews 11, faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him, for before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And to me, this parallels that chapter 11. Did, they weren't seeking him. They seemed to have just dropped their faith, if they had any, on the fact that God was taking care of them and was still giving them everything they needed and should have been um, the king of their hearts, right? And here... It's like without faith, you can't please God. And so somehow they didn't make that connection and they decided to go their own way and build that tower. So verse 7, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So imagine, we don't know uh, if the Lord had... Um, like immediate blessings for those people ready to go but then they went their own way and they started to build that tower and of course he always has a perfect plan so I guess maybe I'm surmising a little bit uh, on my own that they might have missed some blessings because they just didn't sit and wait for the Lord to speak to them at that time so uh, let's see he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. And then we get to Abram, which actually Abraham after. Um, so, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, which is the land of uh, Canaan. And we'll get into that in the next chapters of um, Genesis. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the promise. And verse 10, For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And that's it. Our foundation is in the Lord, and our, our duty is to ask for the patience to wait on him. So we let's finish up. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And I wanted to do something a little different. Um, I know that, uh, and this might have been, I might have heard this somewhere. And so if I'm stealing someone's credit, I apologize. I'll pay the royalty if you call me. Um, but in Corinthians 13, it, this is like the love chapter. And I... I got encouragement by substituting Jesus in this and I wanted to go through it and do that with you. So anywhere there's love, let's put Jesus in there. And there might be a couple other words 
um, that I'll substitute the word Jesus, the name Jesus, in there. But so, uh, chapter thirteen, verse Corinthians, or First Corinthians, verse one: Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not Jesus. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not Jesus, I am nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not Jesus, it profits me nothing. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And didn't he, though, on the cross? That's what he did for us. Verse 8, Jesus never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, when Jesus, which is perfect, has come, then that which is in part or imperfect will be done away. And he's already done that. He's already won. The victory is his and ours as believers in him. And he wants us to come to him as little children. So verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. And that is all innocence. And in an innocent faith, the mountains that prevent us from believing in Jesus and believing in everything he did and is doing for us are removed. So, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Should we? Shouldn't we still come to Jesus as little children and believe every word that he spoke in this volume that we have? This is the testimony of him. And I, I know in my own life, there have been a lot of struggles, and I've questioned him a lot, but he's blessed me so much more. I mean, just the fact I'm standing here, the fact that we're here, and we get to read this and think about him and come to try to love him, like the one song we sang tonight, I love you, Jesus. I started asking myself, what does that love look like? What does that really mean? Am I really loving him or am I just giving him lip service? So that was convicting to me. And it's uh, reading this with his name in here, it's actually encouraging me to understand that the relationship we have with him is reciprocal. It should be. He deserves all of these things from us. And I'll be honest, I'm, this is challenging me. Am I giving him all my patience, all my endurance? Have I taken his name in vain? I have. But I know he forgives me, and I know he endures me, and I know he's patient with me. Otherwise, I probably would have been zapped a long time ago. So... <laughs> But anyway, so when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, which is actually when we see our Lord face to face, now I know in part imperfectly, in other words, I know imperfectly, but then I shall know just as I am also known, which is a child of God. We're children of God. He created us. He made us in his likeness and in his image. And he wants nothing for us to be close to him. That's, that's his desire is to be close to him. So now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. In verse 13, and now abide 
faith, hope, love, Jesus, Father, Son, Spirit, faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It is. The greatest of these in our world right now is Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that's going to save us and the rest of the world. And God made that so, just for us. So I pray that that encourages you. Jesus loves us. He loves us in, like unconditionally. Um, and there's no, I'll, I'll say this again for, I don't know if my brother Dave is still here. Uh, it's not a work, it's a faith. And so our, uh, the best thing we can do is to have faith that he is true, he is our rock, he's the object of our salvation, and he should be the object of our love and our adoration, and um, the answer to everything, the propitiation and the covering of our sins, and the payment and the atonement. And I pray everybody here in the room knows our Lord Jesus, and if you don't, and if anybody online is watching and you don't, please purpose to get to know him and ask questions. If you know someone who is a Christian, ask them to help you understand and to show you where else in the word, not only the passages that were read tonight, but the passages all over this Bible speak of Jesus. So he's the one that deserves all of our praise and our thanksgiving. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that took the time to come out, Lord. Pray that your spirit, Lord, would touch each one of us and help us remember more about you. And pray, Lord, that um, anything that I may have said that was a distraction away from you, Lord, that that would not be remembered. That everything pure, holy, lovely, um, encouraging about you, Lord, is only what people would hear and would remember. And uh, pray for safe travels for everyone home. And Lord, if you should tarry, just pray that everyone has a good day tomorrow. We do love you, Lord, and we want to know more about how to be loving back to you, Lord. So help us and guide us and... Uh, just thank you, Lord, for the patience that you've shown the, all of us, Lord, in our lifetime. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.